everybody. Welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List. I'm Katie Knight and I have a very exciting guest on the show today. Today I'm going to be chatting with Paul Nolan. Now, how do I introduce Paul Nolan? I do not even know where to start, if I'm honest with you. He's done so much. He is an audio engineer. He is a DJ and producer, co-founder of Chapter 24 Records, founder of Make Your Transition, sound designer. He works in artist development and the list goes on and on. So I met Paul through Hello Demo, which I have spoken about quite a few times on the podcast before. But for those of you that do not know Hello Demo, Hello Demo is an incredible platform that has been designed by musicians for musicians. It is the very first music inbox where you have everything all in one space. So you can send, receive and manage your music all from your account. It literally just makes everybody's life so much easier. You can forget about sending and receiving music over email and having folders and files all over your laptop and not really knowing where anything is and then links that expire. It's just all very stressful, isn't it? So Hello Demo makes everybody's life a little bit easier. And if you would like to know more, I will leave the link to the Hello Demo website in the description below. So with Hello Demo, we have actually done quite a lot with Make Your Transition. The latest was our remix contest with Bushwhacker, which went absolutely brilliantly. But this is the first time that I've ever really got the chance to chat with Paul outside of work. So it's been really, really interesting to find out more about Paul's journey, how he made his own transition, um, whilst helping others along the way. So this chat's really really insightful, very helpful, useful and inspiring. Um, There's lots of really great advice in there as well. And I'm excited to share this with you. So welcome back to Can You Put Me On Guest List? And here's the show with Paul Nolan. Are you okay then? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, Surprisingly well. Like, I don't know what it says about my lifestyle in general that they call a national lockdown and it makes absolutely no difference to how I live my life whatsoever. Because you're you're already working at home. I'm basically a monk. That's (laughs) it. Like, a a techno-producing kettlebell slinging yoga teaching monk i just had some good news i've just qualified as a yoga teacher by the way just just literally just an hour ago oh wow congratulations thank you that's wicked that is so so cool and add that to the list of uh silly things and silly feathers in my cap so that's uh what's it producer artist developer yoga teacher sound therapist (laughs) what what are you exactly that's, I was literally going to start this podcast with exactly that. Where, like, you've done so many things. Uh, you've yeah. just named some of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but how, like, what, what's your beginnings? How did you start out in the music industry? Because you've got, you've done, you've ha- you have your own label. You've, you're a producer. You're a DJ, sound engineer. You work in artist development. You started make your transition. There's just so much. I didn't really know where to start. So will you stop it? I feel I feel tired just listening to you. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, yeah. The the thing is, like, I I've got I've 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 had throughout my life maybe 
something of a short attention span and I have a very wide range of interests. So that's kind of what kicked it off. But I basically had a similar start to most people, especially in the northwest of England and especially in Liverpool, where my kind of coronation into this world was the weekly pilgrimage to the cathedral that was cream. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because it literally, nation... God rest its soul. It's now student flats, like most venues in this country, unfortunately. is So sad, so sad. Uh, Was literally 10 minutes away from my house. So basically going to Cream every week was like going to the pub for everybody else. So I just, I just literally, I think I went, the first night I ever went was the reopening party in 1998. And I was this like fresh-faced 18-year-old and I literally walked out of that club that night a different person to the one that I walked in as, basically. I was just this really precocious, really naive 18-year-old in the final year of his A-levels. And then, like, that just completely changed my life. And that was kind of the beginning of it. And that first night, I just had that feeling of, I really belong here. Like, the first time, I think everybody can remember the first time they went somewhere or met their tribe, and mm-hmm. it felt like, oh, like this is this is this is where I belong. Like this is yeah. this is who I'm meant to be with. These are my people, and that's very much how I felt back then. And then it was just a an ascent from there, basically. What took you to cream that first day? Well, I'd been getting fed mixtapes for years, and I'd been a, a fan of electronic music for a long time. And like back in your teenage years, you kind of have your little phases, don't you? You'd have your little goth phase, you'd have your little punk rock <laughs> phase, and that kind of thing. But I kept going back to dance music, uh-huh. and a lot of that was down to my. I've got, I've got, I've really got my my elder sister to thank a lot for this because she was a proper 1989 second summer of love going to raves on farmer's fields just outside Milton Keynes and that whole game of like sending the police one way and then you're going to the actual rave and stuff like that. And then she'd come back after having gone missing for four days and, you know, let's just say, let's just say dilated pupils. We'll just leave it at that. (laughs) And just armed with these tapes of this music that just sounded like it had come from another planet. And I just was always fascinated with it. And then... On my on on the, the the Christmas of like I think it was ninety seven, she bought me Cream Anthems, and it was wow. Nick Warren and Paul Oakenfold. I still have that CD, still get to there and every now and then, and that was it. That that was I just connected to the music, and then after that, it was I actually started learning how to DJ before I went clubbing. Believe it or not. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. So basically, it's really funny because like one of my best friends who I've been friends with for 25 years, he runs a a night in Liverpool called 303 called Kenny Muir. And, uh, you know, they run amazing parties here. And like he got these like Ariston belt drive turntables. Like Ariston normally make like washing machines and fridges. (laughs) And it's like, what are they doing making turntables? And what am I doing learning how to mix on these things? (laughs) And it's one of those, it's like you touch these things ever so slightly and they just went to next week. Uh, So it was just like the most difficult thing to learn how to DJ on. But me and Kenny, we cracked it. And after that point, it's like you can mix on anything if you can mix on those things. So it just became like an obsession of like, where does this music come from? Who's making it? Where do I get this stuff from? Who's going to the clubs? Like, how do I get into this world? And then it's just the funniest story. Actually, that night, ironically, 
because I'm on a podcast called Can You Put Me On The Guest List. I've just remembered this is like my hilarious guest list story. So oh, basically, this is, this, is, this is the first night outside Liverpool, right? I am literally stood outside in a acid yellow Ted Baker shirt that I, I think I'm this shit, right? <laughs> Kenny's with me and we're like, the queue's round the block, can't get in. It's just like, not tonight, lads. You know, there's no way. We haven't got tickets you know, it's, it's Oakenfold's first ever night in the courtyard and it's just wow. like bedlam. And then we're standing there like like sticking out like two sore thumbs going like, what, the, what, what are we going to do? He's going to go for a drink. And then this lad comes out of nowhere. And I still don't know who this lad is to this day. And he's like, <laughs> me mates haven't turned up. I've got two extra places on the guest list. Do you want to come in with me? And wow, the funny thing is, like, meant to be, meant to be. So we went in, we went, he got us in on the guest list. I actually still have the wristband. Oh, so amazing. I'm something of a, no, I'm not a hoarder, but I'm definitely a sentimental type. So Me I've actually too. kept every single wristband of every single time I was lucky enough to go to Cream on the guest list or have backstage oh. access or anything. And it's like, it's just this big, massive, like, rope of just rotting plastic in my, in my drawer here. But it's... It, make some artwork with it. it no, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm, I'm going to. It's, it's definitely one of, the, one of the projects I've got for when I finally decide to put some roots down. Yeah. And uh, we bought this guy a drink and then he disappeared and I've never met him since. I don't even know who he is. So oh, I've got a lot a to thank shame. that guy. Got a lot to thank that guy. And then that was the beginning of something then. And then within sort of six months, I was just getting to know people. And then I became a bit of a face in the crowd. And then it was, you know, phone calls. Paul, do you want to actually run the guest list for us tonight? Because we need someone to help. Or can Because this was still the point when like people used to come on coaches from across the country to go to Cream. Yeah. It was the super club days. And uh, basically, like I used to, do the do the door when it was like you used to check all the coach parties in, you used to do a bit of door picking, and then like from there, like it just took off and I ended up being like a tour manager for them for a bit and a production manager and just a, a bit of a face in the crowd and just became part of the family. Cause the great thing about Cream is to this day that there's still a, a wonderfully sort of like very tight knit family run kind of company. Um, yeah. even though they're, they're obviously huge now with cream fields and stuff. And, Massive. you know, I, they, they, even to this day, they still make me feel like I'm part of the family, so. Do you know, when I, I worked at Amnesia for six years, and when mm. Cream was Amnesia, I used to love working with them. They were so, so good. They were mm. so on point with everything, so quick. And I really, they were one of my favourite promoters to work with, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, I've got to say, like, I think it comes from the roots of the Barton family. Like, yeah. it's not a, it's not a, a secret to, to, to say, like, you know, the Bartons started off as, like, ticket touts, at, like, yeah. football games and concerts and stuff. So they've always had that kind of, like, local, earthy, family, everybody looks after each other, but hustle and, you know, we're not afraid to get our hands dirty if necessary to make the, you know, to make it work out, you know? So just phenomenal grounding, really, you know? I did some foreign tours with them. Um, I did like a a tour in the Ayanapa in Cyprus in 2001, where I was one of the two tour managers. And uh, I literally, it was so hilarious. Like I I went away. I was going to say, but that was interesting. Hilarious. (laughs) First time I'd ever been away without my parents. I'd literally just graduated (laughs) university. I went away a boy and I came back a man. That's all I'm going to say about that situation. We could do a whole other podcast just on those days, to be honest. I was going to say, we'll have to do another podcast just on that. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's brilliant. So your first job kind of in the industry was guest list. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And then it just became, you know, uh, Alan Green, God rest his soul, who was a, a dear friend of mine. You know, he used to disappear on tour with the likes of, you know, Dave uh, Clark and stuff like that. So I used to fill in for him on like the production team. And then I became okay. the guy who like, you know, everybody wanted to know because I, I was the one who was giving the checks out to all the DJs at the backstage <laughs> area. So all of a sudden I became quite popular and quite quite the yeah. guy because I was holding all the money. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, <laughs> from and I just did various things and just kind of got involved and that just kind of led to that whole thing of well I can do that yeah cool well you know I'll, I'll try that that's that looks like fun you know and it just leads me across everything because the bits that you've talked about that's just like that's only a fraction of what I've actually done I've literally like, like ran record shops I've you know, does I've been on tour, I've, I've lectured at university. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like, I can't even keep up with myself half the time, So to you've be kind of done, like, a lot a lot of different jobs inside the industry. And, and not just in the music industry, like, I've extended into the film industry as well. So mm-hmm. I've been, like, you know, head of, head of sound department on feature films. I've, you know, done, like, sound mixing for, like, movies and short films and all kinds of stuff. It's just whatever kind of whatever kind of comes in, if it looks like fun, you know, I'm, you I'm very much... Very, yeah, exactly. I'm very much... I, I sort of subscribe to the Richard Branson principle of if somebody offers you an opportunity, say yes, put the phone down yeah. and then figure out how to do it after you've said yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I feel like I'm kind of the same as you, though. I, mm-hmm. I, if somebody says to me, what do you do? What are you? I'd never really know what to say. I'm just like, well, I do like presenting, but then I also work for this company, and then I also do that, and I do a bit of copywriting, and then I have my podcast, and I just never yeah. really have an answer. Yeah. I just, just do stuff that I it's like. It's why online dating never works for me, Katie, because it's like, <laughs> how do you sum all of this up in an online dating profile? You just don't. It's just like, next. So I've given, I've given up. I've given up. So what would you say, if somebody says to you now, what what do you do? What what do you actually say? How long have you got? <laughs> Like this, it's literally like, do you, do you want to sit down? Do you want a coffee while I explain it all to you? Yeah. I mean, no, NYT, my artist development company and, and I'm on an online education platform is is what takes up the sort of the majority of my, my sort of time now. And it's the conduit that kind of everything else flows through. Yeah. So, you know, that's very much what I kind of lead with. But, you know, I've, I've just recently kind of had the epiphany of, you know, NYT is doing amazingly well and it's continuing to grow, but I am principally an artist, but I'm an mm-hmm. artist that helps other artists and it's yeah. entirely for completely selfish reasons, really, because it's like I want to develop myself as an artist and the best way that I know that I can develop myself as an artist is to share that with other artists so they also yeah. develop so the whole thing gets better. Yeah. But I guess from from working with our other artists and helping them out and giving them advice, you must also get a lot back from that and learn from them as well, right? So what do you oh, think tremendous. are like the biggest things or some of the main things that you've learned from helping others? I think it's it's a really that's a really good question actually because there's there's so much, you know, because we are only really like an amalgamation of everything that we've learned from other people. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm not, I think the main thing I would say in my whole element of teaching for the last 12 years wow. is, you know, 
knowledge doesn't really have any owners. And we're all we're all kind of like as the same amalgamations of everything else that we've learned. So one of the things I really kind of don't like is when people get precious about knowledge and where they start talking about, you know, oh, I developed this and this is mine. And it's like, well, no, no, everyone's learned from somebody else. Everybody's a version of, of everything else. So, you know, for me, it's like shit, the, the way that you actually become the best version of yourself and the best artist you can be is by sharing that insight with as many people as you possibly can. Because mm -hmm. that, obviously then people will be more open to share their insights and therefore you get better in the process. It's like, I think really to sum that up, I think it's about having like what I would call like a white belt mentality. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm big into martial arts as well. And, you know, you have to have that mentality of, I'm a complete novice at this, even though I've been at this for 20 odd years, you know, and you'll continue to learn and develop at that rate. Mm -hmm. I love what you just said about knowledge has no owners. That's such a good, a good one to, mm. to remember. I really mm. like that. How, how did you, how did your um, work with artist development begin? You said 12 years ago, but what made you decide that, okay, I do want to help other people? Again, totally selfish reasons. So again, like I got to a point in like 2005, 2006, where it became very clear to me that I needed to do something different or I needed to go back to the drawing board a little bit if I wanted to take the next step in my career. Because I was doing very, very well DJing up until about 2004, mm -hmm. 2005. And, you know, I was being, like, featured in Mix Mag and stuff. And, you know, I was being mentioned. I actually got mentioned in dispatches of, like, oh, this guy's going to be a future entrance into the DJ Mag Top 100. Like, my name got dropped in 2004 quite a few times of, like, give it five years and Paul will be on this yeah. list. And it kind of didn't happen. Yeah. And it just kind of stalled a little bit. And it, and I was at that point where the industry was changing from you could earn a very, very good living just playing other people's records and taking all the credit, as I like to say, mm -hmm. towards you're going to need to produce, you're going to need to make your own music, you need to become a lot more than just a DJ, essentially. Mm -hmm. So I'd always had this kind of like real fascination with the process of making music, but I just hadn't got around to it because it wasn't easy back then. It's like, again, knowledge doesn't have any owners, but a lot of music producers back then, they treated the music production process like it was some sort of black art. And, you know, they never shared their knowledge with people because they felt like, they would then go off and take their opportunities from them. And it was an incredibly like selfish and very precious kind of way of approaching things. But I went back to college in 2006. I went to audio engineering uh, college in Liverpool and basically went and got a diploma in audio engineering. And then that was the point where it all kind of opened up because I basically then got, I got offered a, a teaching job the day I graduated because wow. I, I basically just lived in this college, like to the point where there was jokes about, you know, when's Paul going to put his bed in the studio because <laughs> he's just here all the time. And if he's here all the time, he may as well be paid to be here. 
So I was just there all the time and just a tremendous pain in the backside to everybody and, you know, um, had a lot of insight and and had a lot of industry experience by that point. So I was kind of a prime candidate to take over their kind of electronic music production course, which I then turned from something that was a bit of a niche product for them into something really major. I was working for SAE in Liverpool at that point. But it was completely selfish because... Honestly, I wanted free studio time at the weekends. And yeah. basically, I knew that if I taught this to other people, it would make me a better producer and it would make me better as an artist that I would develop. And then after that just came the passion of seeing these people. You know, you'd, you'd, in six months, you'd turn someone from, I don't even know how to switch a Mac on, to they've just finished an EP like in six months yeah. and that's a wild ride of growth to be on with someone else and you you really you really feel it you really see how people's truth comes out and it's almost like it's part of their personal development journey and it's about them finding their voices creatively and then you see people grow on a much more personal level off the back of that process and then that was it then it was like okay well this is this is something else I'm probably going to do for the rest of my life because this is how I can be of service to other people and this is how I can hopefully make the world a slightly better place what area do you find that artists need the most guidance in to be honest the pushing of buttons and the sliding of faders is really not where they need any help because now I mean, give you an idea how old I am. I started learning music production before YouTube even existed. Wow. That's, that's how long scary. Ago was that then? That's, uh, yeah, that, I'll let you work that out so you can then work me age out. <laughs> but, um, I already know your age because I well, saw it uh, somewhere. <laughs> fine, fine. Be like that. Bl- blow me out the water. My, 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 my illusions of like being a mysterious person just go. So, you know, it, yeah, for me, it, it's, it's more on the the personal development side of things. Um, and again, through my own sort of journey and how, for want of a better expression, how the industry's kind of chewed me up and spat me out over the years mm-hmm. and how, to an extent, I've not done myself any favours. I have learned that predominantly the game is one that is played internally and it's about our own internal processes that really allow us because you can read the manual for Ableton Live backwards and know every function, but if you're absolutely completely alienated from yourself and you're locked down from yourself and you're riddled with self-doubt and things like that, then you're never going to fulfill your potential. So for me, yeah. it's like that's really where the good juicy stuff is and where the most need is right now. When I was trying to, um, or when I was putting this podcast together and putting the questions together, at first, I, there was one point I sat there and I was like, there's so many different pieces to, from what I understand and what I've been reading up on, on your career, on your life. And I couldn't really work out how to, because when whenever, obviously, and I'm sure you're the same when you do an interview, you'd like to know what's going to come next and kind of it goes on on a journey, right? And one thing that I did realize was that 
everything that you've done, it's like, I feel like your life is kind of like a bit of a, a jigsaw and all of these small little pieces all come together and it's just mm. created what you're doing now. So mm. obviously something else I did want to get into was your own, um, your own personal journey with mental health as well. Mm. And when you just said to me now about one thing that you think most people need help on is their, is their own personal development rather than just ha- mm. knowing how to touch buttons, whatever. Mm. Um, so I can really see from everything that I have been reading up on and everything that you're telling me now, how everything very, very neatly all fits together and it creates exactly mm. who you are today and what you're doing. Obviously, mm. I don't know you very, very well, but from what, I've, from what I can understand, I can, I, I can really see how this has all got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that's a very nice way of putting it. What I would say is, is that not all of the jigsaw puzzles have been that smooth, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I've had to kind of like, you know, take a hacksaw to a few pieces and kind of, you know, gently sand down a few pieces to make them all fit in the right place. Because yeah. I spent a lot of time, as we all do in life, I think, you know, trying to put square pegs in round holes, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you you learn from that process. And, you know, one of the things I've been kind of kind of getting a sense of recently in terms of when I'm at right now is I feel like there's been a lot of very disparate strands of my life. There's the music, there's the education side, there's the performer, there's the artist, there's the teacher, there's, you know, everything else we talked about. But what's really exciting for me is that I've had this sense now for about the last couple of years that all of these strands are starting to come together. Yeah. And they're starting to, you know, integrate in a really, really nice way. And I think that definitely leads me to where I'm at. I think really for everything that I try and teach and everything I try and espouse, I'm basically like the guinea pig for all of it. Like I'm in the trenches working it out for myself. So when I do share with other people what's worked for me and what might work for other people, it comes from a very authentic place because it's things that I've directly experienced at like a very deep level Uh, because I suppose it's funny because somebody um, asked me to fill a form out the other day for a a, a thing let's just leave it at that and it said do you have any allergies and I put cat dander and bullshit (laughs) and like basically that is true it's like what I do is like I'm like an antihistamine for bullshit on every level basically like I try and steer people away from hackery and, you know, the get rich quick and this kind of thing towards something yeah. that's a lot, it's a tougher road, but it's much more authentic and it leads to, it leads to just much, much better, a much better life, I think, a much more well-rounded life. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of going back to what you were saying before with, with personal development, the thing is, and and I've experienced this as well. Um, if this, if you're, if you're not right here or here, then nothing else around you is gonna is is gonna go well either. Mm, no, totally. And it's funny. I was speaking to speaking to uh, a guy called Kurt Gasso last night. He was one of the winners on the Hello Demo Bushwhacker yes. contest. We actually did the masterclass with him last night. He's a lovely guy. He's great. And we were talking about that. And I was regaling a tale of like when I lived in LA a few years ago. And I played one of the biggest clubs in LA. I played the Exchange, which is owned by Insomniac. So I played in front of about three and a half thousand people, rammed. And I was that, that not right in the head at that point and that not right in myself. 
that I had this insane peak experience of playing in front of three and a half thousand people. Like, and you've been to Exchange, so you know they project things on the ceiling. So like my name's being like projected across the ceiling of this place, and I'm opening for like Matthew Deer, and it's wow. like it's absolute just carnage. And I get to the end of the gig, and and you know basically rather than me like being in this really kind of elevated, really like this is one of the best moments of my career, I pulled the USB stick out of my out of the deck, I shook Matthew by the hand, and I literally ran out of the club. It was like, I, I, this is the last place on earth I want to be right now. Get me out of it. And I actually walked out the club. I ran out the club without even being paid. Oh, did you? Yeah. So that shows you that you can have an experience which would be one of those, okay, made it like this is what I've been aiming for. And you can be in such a difficult place within yourself that not even that is enough, basically. Yeah. And in fact, you end up in a position where you end up hating what you love to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. When the beginning of, of lockdown happened here in Spain, I, I don't know if you would have seen, but our lockdown was like the first one. It was brutal. You weren't allowed to leave the house. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you were only allowed to go if you leave the house if you wanted to, if you needed to go to the supermarket. And that was it. You weren't even allowed to do exercise, anything. And I found that very, very difficult. And... I was still at Ibiza Global Radio at the time and we were doing lots of um, Instagram live interviews like what, what me and you did last week. And I had some really interesting artists on and but I was just so down and I just mm. I was like this is something that I really enjoy doing and I should be so proud that I'm doing this and I've got some amazing guests coming on but I was just like I just can't do it and I remember there was one day I had to interview Sneak and it was three minutes before I was supposed to go live and I was just in absolute tears I was like I can't do it I can't do it and I did force myself to do it and I did feel good to do it at the end but you, it just totally takes the whole enjoyment out of doing things when, mm. when you feel that way. Um, and that's when I also realized, I was like, I, I, need a, I need a break. I need to sort myself out and then go back to doing what I, what I love to do, you know? Mm. 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 And for me, in my situation, I basically hit the wall. Yeah. Completely and utterly hit the wall. I was completely burnt out. Um, I actually had like adrenal fatigue and literally could do nothing but sit on my mum's couch for two weeks and watch Netflix in me in me undercrackers basically for you know yeah. for how that was literally and I was even saying to I was even saying to Kurt last night that not only did I not want to make music at that point, the thought, the mere thought of me opening music software in that time made me feel nauseous. It made me feel physically wow. sick. So it was like something's really, really wrong here because I've always prided myself on being able to be one of those people that, you know, you get a setback, something bad happens, you bounce. Like you hit the wall, you bounce, you keep going. And I literally, I hit the wall and I stayed on the wall and I slid down the wall all the way to the bottom. Mm. That's basically what happened to me. And, you know, it was... It, it was a really interesting ride because, you know, that led me down some paths that you would say that are probably a little bit less than conventional. Mm -hmm. And there are paths, there's a path that I took that I would not recommend for everyone, shall we mm -hmm. say. But it was definitely a path that worked for me. And it's something that I've be, been sort of increasingly open about in recent times about, you know, how I've kind of turned the corner and 
you know, the last four years have been a very wild roller coaster of a ride towards the person that I am now, which, you know, I'm, I feel very, very good about. Mm-hmm. When, when the night um, happened at Exchange where you, where you, where you had to, to leave the club, what did you, uh, what did you do to help yourself after this? The, when you said, so you went back to, to your mum's house and you're on the couch for two weeks, is this at the same point or is this, was this before? Yeah, there was a whole there was a whole kind of like combination of things that were happening. So mm-hmm. I was I was doing a lot of touring around America at that point because I'd moved yeah. to LA in 2015. And the first thing that I did straight off the plane was uh, I was one of the producers on Sasha's last album on Scene Delete, mm-hmm. which is something that people know. And that was again a massive career highlight, huge, amazing stuff. Uh, we'll never forget that time. And off the back of the release of that album. There was quite a nice residual bump in terms of, okay, I'm going to go and play in San Diego. I'm going to go and play New York. I've got to go and play Bali. You know, it was good stuff. But I was increasingly in a really dark place because, like, I'd been waiting on a divorce uh, basically until, like, 2016. And towards the end of that year, I had a really, really painful breakup with someone who I was head over heels in love with. Mm. And that that was the point that 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 was the straw that broke the camel's back alongside everything else. Like the fatigue yeah. of touring, you know, having to do stupid things like fly all the way to Bali to play one gig to fly all the way back. You know, things like that and just craziness. And it just hit the wall. And it just became a point of, well there's there's really I need to do something here genuinely because I'm heading to a very, very dark place if I don't take this in hand. And, you know, I'd done therapy before. um, I'd done like CBT therapy, which helped to an extent, but it wasn't really scratching the surface of like just how dark things gotten for me. Yeah. So, you know, I went down, you know, the route of, of plant medicines and, uh, went down the route of psychedelics, uh, ayahuasca, that kind of thing, and that yeah. really, really was the the trigger point. That those first couple of ayahuasca ceremonies at the end of 2016 was the turning point because that was the thing that kind of helped me to effectively stop running from myself yeah. and actually deal with the, the the trauma that I was carrying around from. A painful divorce, painful breakups, painful childhood experiences, and and they they were manifesting in that fight or flight of you've just achieved something amazing, like playing in front of three and a half thousand people in LA. Let's run out of here as quickly as possible. Yeah, like that's not that's not the that's not the the authentic response to that. If you get what I mean. Yeah, so absolutely. you know the, the writing was on the wall for a while. And as I said, I've been increasingly open about it in recent times because it's like basically four years ago now. And I feel like I'm in a position where I can communicate it a lot more clearly to people because it's difficult, like, as you know, like what you were saying about your interview with Sneak, right? It's like Mm. when you're in it, you can't explain it. It's just you're in it. And there's no no words that can, you know, at that point, I like to say you realize that you're basically a baldy monkey with, primitive grunts that we use and we consider it language you know outside of that we don't really have the the capacity to communicate what's inside of us properly because it's so 
deep, isn't it? And it's so absolutely so raw, you know. But it's definitely been something that has has helped me tremendously because I feel like I can relate to other people a lot better now because I can understand because I've gotten around the sides of my own trauma and managed to resolve a huge amount of it and felt a massive benefit from it. And then that's been a catalyst for more and more and more success in my musical life and in my business life and everything else. Yeah, that was actually going to be my next question. Since that point, since all of the changes that you have made, how has that changed your your businesses and your creativity when you're in the studio as well? It's changed everything. It's yeah. absolutely changed everything. And I'm still, that process is still unfolding. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, that process will inf- unfold until the end of my life. Yeah. You know, it's a process. And I, I read a really, really good quote in a book the other day. Um, I'm reading this book on creative process by a guy called Seth Godin. It's called The Practice. Nice. I like Seth Godin. He's, oh my God, this, have you ever read The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield? No, I haven't. That, that, that is, that's a life changer, that. So basically, the practice is like the war of art on on steroids, basically, and it's it's amazing. And there's a there's a quote in that he's quoting somebody else, but the quote goes, "Process rescues us from the poverty of our intentions," and that has been a, a very big lesson for me in terms of once you devote yourself to a process and you trust in the process, primarily. Because my problem back at that exchange gig was that I was measuring my entire self-worth on the achievement of goals. Yeah. So basically, if I hadn't have achieved that goal, I was basically nothing to myself. Like, I didn't even value myself. Ironically, I achieved the goal and still didn't value myself. Still didn't value yourself. So what's the use of a goal if you are constantly going to shift the goalposts on yourself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you'll never hit it. So the only sensible thing to do is to trust in a process, fall in love with that process of whatever it is that you do as a creative practice, mm-hmm. and then allow the results to naturally take care of themselves as a byproduct of your process. And that's mm-hmm. kind of the center point of what I teach because that's yeah. what's worked for me in recent years. And I've evolved from being predominantly outcome driven to being more process driven and that has been a huge huge shift in every single area of my life yeah absolutely Uh, is this where yoga came into into your your journey as well or is interesting been doing yoga before that uh, yeah, I did yoga before that. I've basically been a very committed uh, yoga practitioner for now seven and a half years. Mm. And I started off being because I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a self proclaimed exercise masochist. Like okay. I, I like you know real difficult hard work. So you know I like my seven mile runs i like my half marathons i like hot yoga i like ice cold showers you know i'm just it looks brutal on the outside of it but i'm actually enjoying myself and uh i I got into hot yoga around sort of 2012 2013 
and then got into Bikram yoga as it was back then. And then I was really, really into that for a few years. And, you know, the great thing about getting into Bikram yoga in particular is that you can be anywhere in the world, walk into a Bikram yoga studio and you know exactly what you're going to get. 26 and 2. I love it. Crack it's on. Amazing. Amazing. How good do you feel when you come out though? Like absolutely oh, dripping wet. Unbelievable. It's the best feeling ever. Unbelievable. Yeah. And because like obviously it gets super cold here in the winter. So yeah. um, I had a nickname in my yoga studio for a while. A lot of people were calling me Red Rum because what I used Red. to do was that basically I'd do a Bikram class and then in like February I'd go and stand in the car park at like minus one. Like I'm some sort, oh. and the steam's coming off me like a racehorse, which is why they nicknamed me Red Rum for a bit. And I, I just love that. Like I love extremes of hot and cold and stuff like that as well. But the yoga was very much the beginning of the journey. And it's been the thing that's been supporting me all the way through it. And then from the very young styles of yoga, again, I'm a self-admitted, I, I call myself a youngster as well like I'm very much I'm very much like I'm I'm very young addicted I'm an Aries basically if you're into that type of thing I'm Uh just so yeah yeah, ridiculous in that front but um you know what's been really fascinating is as I mentioned just before the start of this you know we uh I've just found out that I've just qualified as a a yin yoga instructor which is something I did over the lockdown and yin is just totally not me totally not my thing but what it's taught me over the years and what I'm teaching other people i'm actually teaching yoga on myt now on the platform oh you are yeah wow. yeah i did five, i've done five hours of teaching on the on the platform already and everyone's loving it it's like getting music producers to do like down with dogs and stuff on a sunday morning is quite <laughs> quite entertaining but um it's really cool but it, it's that thing of like learning to let go and that's mm-hmm. been a huge part of my process over the last four years. If if plant medicines and ceremonies and going deep within myself has, has taught me one thing, it's taught me the ability to let go. And that's what the, the yin yoga is very much about. It's about letting go of tension in the body. It's about letting go of whatever it is that you're sitting with. But it's also yeah. a case of learning to sit with the discomfort of your own feelings which is something I've definitely developed. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've I've found these lockdowns, to be honest with you, uh, not as fundamentally challenging as a lot of other people yeah. because yeah. You, you, you become, and, and again, this is, this is no aside on anyone, like everybody's where they're supposed to be. And there's so much distraction in life that we were forced to stop, right, in these lockdowns and we were forced to sit at home and then inevitably everything that we've been avoiding started to come up. Yeah. Right. So and true. and I I have thankfully been through that process to an extent over the last four years. Because there was a lot of things coming up that I wasn't dealing with. There was a lot of things I was pushing down, a lot of things I was repressing, a lot of things it was like good vibes only, toxic positivity, yeah. all of that stuff. And I really you know, I found I've found these lockdowns kind of very useful for being able to kind of zone in and focus on my creative practice more than anything and my business practice as well. Mm-hmm. But the yoga's been a huge, huge part of my journey. And again, this will be something that I will do. Like I'll be one of those annoying 90-year-olds putting his leg over his head and <laughs> running marathons. Because I just, I don't know how to sit still, basically. Because you, yeah. And you can, and you can do it. Because you can, and I want to. And exactly. 
95% right. of my decision making comes down to that. Yeah. Well, that's how it should be. Yeah, exactly. I want to. Yeah. It, what advice could you give, obviously, well, especially in the UK, because you're now on, on this second lockdown, what advice could you give people that are at home or do you have any like exercises or practices that you think could be useful for people that are struggling mentally during this 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 time, this very strange time in the world? Honestly, I think of a, a guy who I've listened to a lot and there's just hours and hours and hours of his talks on YouTube mm-hmm. and he's a guy called Matt Kahn. So Matt, M-A-T-T. Khan K A H N, and he wrote a book that I read in the last couple of years, and it's almost like when you hear the title of the book, you almost don't need to read the rest of it, basically, because <laughs> the title of the book is so perfect, and it's also one of the big pieces of advice that I would I would give people, which is whatever arises, love that. Whatever arises, love that. So. You get feelings of self-doubt come up. Love it. Love it. Give it give it love. Yeah. You know, you feel like an imposter. Love that. Love it. You feel like a piece of shit. Love that. I'm you... a great piece of shit. Well, yeah. I mean, and again, like, it's one of those. It's like, it's, it's, it's kind of an acting as if. Yeah. To an extent, but it really is the only solution. I mean, where, where does more self-hatred get you? It doesn't really get you anywhere, does it? It doesn't really no it doesn't really progress us on any sort of level, both physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, metaphysically, if you want to go there. It it, it doesn't it doesn't progress us on any level. Only and I don't I don't want to sound like one of those corny people, but it's like only only self love, self acceptance, self compassion does that. And you know what? If I'm somebody sat at home listening to this now and I'm thinking shut up Paul like yeah it's easy to say so easy to say it's easy for you you know and it's like well actually you know it isn't because I I say this because I've been through that process and it's difficult and you realize you know what there's enough people in this world that are around that will beat you up for you for free so why are you helping them Absolutely. You know, and, and a lot of it comes down to things like self-talk as well. And I'm a big I'm a big advocate of journaling, like mm-hmm. writing stuff Me down too. every day. And yeah. no matter how raw it gets, and I'm big on like witnessing your own self-talk and then imagining that you're speaking to and about somebody else like that. And mm-hmm. It's, I don't it's think amazing. I've done that before. That's really interesting. Well, think about it, right? If you think about the way that you speak to yourself, and if you reflect on that, and if you think that if I spoke like that to somebody else, I'd get punched in the face, mm-hmm. then I've probably got a problem. And, it, and it's yeah. about that level of self honesty. And, you know, I call all of this, like you can call this collectively as a mm-hmm. bunch, I call this like holding space for yourself and learning the ability to hold space for yourself and allow yourself to make mistakes, allow yourself to feel raw, allow yourself to feel whatever it is that you need to feel. Because another big tenet that I live by is in order to heal it, you've got to feel it. Mm -hmm. And you've got to Mm -hmm. feel it all fully in 
whatever time period it takes and know that it's okay because you're feeling all of this on on its way out basically yeah. like you are in effect for want of a better expression kind of purging these feelings and again that's what these lockdowns have kind of done for people and not everyone the vast majority of people are not equipped they've not been taught how to do this for themselves and as i say the last four years of my life of you know going through what i've been through and learning these skills of being there for myself like i've had to learn how to become a parent to my own inner child yeah to an extent and actually sit there and ask my inner child like you know what do you need like what what's fun for you what's going to nourish you you know because yeah. i used to say like i was a deadbeat dad to my own inner child like i was an absentee father you know basically yeah. so you've got to learn how to parent yourself to an extent as well and again all of these things are very buzzworthy and they're very cliche and you hear them all the time but there is a reality behind it of and course. it's often it's often a lot deeper and a lot more difficult than, than people would give credit to. So yeah. I just want to recognize that in this moment as well. I think as well, we just live in such a fast-paced world. Everything is just so quick. In an instant, you have whatever you want. And we 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 just don't we don't stop and pause and take that time to need what do we want, where am I going, or think about things that have happened and and why it happened that way. And I think especially when when lockdown happened, it gave a lot of people that time to suddenly start thinking about these things. And I was definitely one of them. I can't remember the last time I had asked myself, okay, what what are you feeling right now? What do you want? What do you want to do next? I was just going, 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 mm -hmm. going, going. And and then you just hit a brick wall and you're just like, you know, and so this time of 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 being at home and being able to have this space for you to be able to think about this is so important. Mm. It's so, so important. No, it is. It is absolutely. And I've definitely felt the benefit from it because even though, you know, I kind of tweak things and didn't tour as much in the last sort of four years or so. I didn't travel as much. I was still traveling a lot, you know. I was still mm -hmm. over in your neck of the woods in Ibiza three, four times a season. You know, mm -hmm. I was still going to ADE every year, doing Dance Fair in Holland, in Utrecht every year, going to LA a couple of times a year, you know. And, and again, like, as you mentioned in the, in the notes before we did this, it's like, you know, I was, I like to say, like, I'm, I, I appear like I'm living the dream. Mm -hmm. And that also adds its own pressure of, mm -hmm. you know, keeping up appearances of, you know... Did you feel pressured about that? Like oh, totally. Like you felt like you had to be showing the world what I'm doing. Totally, yeah. totally. And that's where, you know, social media really comes into it and the mm -hmm. pressures of it. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I'm, I, I don't actually believe that social media in and of itself is either inherently good or inherently evil. Like, I don't project morality onto these things. Yeah. I, I look about, because I think there, there are uses of social media that are incredibly positive. And I think there's a hell of a lot of social media use that is incredibly negative. At the moment, yes. if you want my honest, objective opinion on social media, I believe the negatives currently outweigh the positives. And I, I think a lot of where I was at at that point because you know I was I was still kind of coming back and forth from LA even though I was basing myself over there and every time I came back 
you know, it was people like literally people in Liverpool stopping me in the street going, oh my God, like, I can't believe you live in Venice Beach and it looks amazing and you've made it and you've done this and you've done that and it's amazing. And they're almost like weirdly living vicariously through my Instagram. And yeah. it's like, okay, I'm not really sure how comfortable I am with yeah. this. And then you feel that pressure of, I have to maintain that now. I have to maintain that perception in other people because mm-hmm. we're also in the music industry. We're, we're sold a lie as far as I'm concerned of you must always be on these platforms. You must always interact with your fan base in inverted commas for those listening. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you must emote 15 times a day. And it's not true. It's really it's not true. Not. And in fact, it's one of the biggest impediments to an artist fully embracing their practice in a very, very deep way. And I think it's also possibly, just thinking about it in the moment now, I think it's one of the reasons why a lot of the music ultimately became quite throwaway. Yeah. In in my opinion, like, again, not to kind of trash anybody else's process, but the cycles of, like, releases and yep, everything yep, yep. just got quicker and quicker and quicker. And it's like, you know everybody had forgotten your latest release two weeks after it came out. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and that accelerated with the whole advent of social media as well. So, you know, for me, like I've not really spoken about this publicly yet, but I have effectively retired from social media in a personal capacity. Like I'm not, I've okay. found so much benefit in the last month or so of really reducing it down. I'm down to like, I think I used my phone for 45 minutes yesterday. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. It's an interesting insight on this actually, and I heard somebody else say it, and it was really what made the light go on. It's like it's called a mobile phone, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So it's mobile because the phone itself is something that is mobile, right? It's not fixed to a wall, right? I mean, yes. that's oh, that that seems so far so redundant, right? But you're also meant to be mobile when you're using the thing. But if you're not yeah. mobile, if you're sat at home. These things the are not meant to be sat there with doom scrolling for nine hours a day. Like that, that's, that's so a true. big, big problem. And, you know, for me, it's like I now permanently have my phone on do not disturb. I'm deliberately mm-hmm. very, very difficult to get hold of. Well, apart from some other people, some exceptions like your good self. And, um, you know, in general, like I've definitely kind of taken a step back and I've gone deeper into my creative process. And that has yielded a lot of awards for me on a musical level, which, you know, I'm working on a lot of music at the moment that, you know, people haven't heard yet and hopefully will do in the near future. And, yeah. you know, the the life without social media is definitely something that, I mean, obviously, you know, I'll always use it in the context of my business like I've got a business to promote and these platforms are useful to do that but in a personal capacity I'm I'm out like I'm 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 done really on a personal capacity when you think about scrolling through Instagram what do you actually gain from it because this is a very good point because you don't I always end up either Looking at some random person that I don't even know and then think, Katie, what are you doing? Why are you spending 15 minutes looking at something you just don't even care about? 
Two, I'll it will I'll end up I'll end up be thinking, how is that person doing that when I'm still doing this and comparing myself to other people? Mm-hmm. Or just looking at just absolute crap, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You just don't really get any this the only good side I've had on a personal level is Especially, as I was saying before, that first lockdown, I, I, I did struggle through it. And I started following a lot of Instagram pages that were just like for positivity, a lot more spiritual accounts. And there was a lot of good things I got from, from that. It was a lot of small reminders for every day. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'm going to try and stick to that. Apart from that, the, there's not a lot of great deal, a lot of great you, greatness that you do get out of scrolling through Instagram. No, there really isn't. I mean, like I, I have like... I mean, if you look at my Instagram, which I like, literally in the last three weeks took off my phone entirely. So if you're waiting for a DM back off me, then sorry, you'll be waiting a while. Sorry, I ain't getting it. So, sorry. Do you, get a, do you get a lot of artists that you mentor asking you about social media and how important it is for an artist to have a big following on social media in terms in it? To get, to get gigs and things like that. Oh, totally, yeah. Do you have a lot of people that worry? Yeah, to- oh, yeah, huge amounts. And it's one of the big things that we kind of look at on the platform, basically, because, you know, um, I am not a I am not a one-man army. Uh, mm-hmm. Recently, you know, there's a whole team behind NYT. I mean, you know Dan Fisher, obviously, because he did Dan's podcast. Dan's... I did do Dan's podcast. Dan, so lovely. Dan is my assistant. <laughs> Oh, yeah. no way. Yeah, Dan, Dan works ah. for MIT, yeah. And he, he, he's one of the big reasons why I've been able to simultaneously devote more time musically because he's doing a lot of the kind of business development, web mm-hmm. design, all of this amazing stuff that he's so, so talented at and has really taken a lot of the load off me because he's just so good. And so, and, yeah. I've, and I've known Dan for, for a good few years and, you know, he's, he's somebody who I rate massively I love Dan to bits um, yeah. and, and I've got we've also got our marketing guy Rory uh, Rory Palmer Rowe so he used to work for Defected so he worked for Defected okay. in Croatia uh, worked for the label uh, worked on socials for people like Perupa Steve Lawler etc so he's kind of our in-house social media expert and, and one of the things we're actually going to be looking at soon is the balance between mm-hmm. I've got music out, I've got a musical career that I want to let people about, know about. How do I do this without falling headfirst into the void of mm-hmm. doom scrolling, trolling, toxic social media, and I'm on my phone yeah. for nine hours a day? You know, like, yeah. how do I do that and that's... how do I interact with that? You know, that's something we're very, very cognizant of because... You know, we would be hypocrites if we were like, okay, devote all of this time to your creative practice and your artistic development and stuff. But by the way, can you just spend 12 hours a day replying to everybody on Instagram because that's what that's what will get yeah. you the gig. It's like, it's, but it doesn't work that way. And again, we've been sold so many lies about how this mm-hmm. game works and the reality of it. And 99% of it comes down to networking. Not yep. social networking, networking. Networking. Like going who out, you know. seeing people. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of people say in a negative sense, and obviously we can't do that right now, but ultimately there is this thing of, oh, you know, it's not, it's not what you know, it's who you know. The truth is it's both. Like I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in today if it wasn't for the relationships that I'd built over the years. You know, I met 
like Sasha over many years and was a bit of a familiar face before we sat down, had coffee one day in Liverpool and he said, I would like you to help me produce this album, blah, 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 blah. You know, that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been a face in the crowd at Cream 15 years previously and yes. was just kind of, you know, hanging around and generally being like a positive influence on the vibe basically you know i mean a lot of people ask me like you know how do you how do you how do you make it in this game and it's it's three very simple stages of advice basically one make a good brew make a good cup of tea (laughs) two don't be a dick yeah three don't be shit like, that I, I is brute. Yeah, it's true. I can't put it any simpler than that, you know. And and the maker, I mean, it, 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 it's uh, it, it's worth digging into a little bit more. The maker good brew thing is nothing's below you. Mm-hmm. Like, be that person who like I went all the way back to the beginning, two thousand six, and um, a very dear friend of mine who was kind of a mentor for me on the music production side, a guy called Mike Cave. Uh, mm-hmm. He. His latest claim to fame, amongst many, is that he uh, mixed and mastered the Lewis Capaldi album, which went platinum. Wow. Yeah, and wow. he's like, Amazing. he's mastered like Bob Dylan records and Body Rockers, I Like wow. the Way You Move, and he's work, he works with Camel Fat, and he's generally that like superstar guy behind the guy. And yeah. I went all the way back before I went to audio engineering college. I was assisting him in studios in Liverpool, and I was literally emptying ashtrays and going and collecting sandwiches. And, you know, like this is after, you know, like DJing at Cream, tour managing for Cream, all of this stuff. I had to go all the way back to the beginning and I had to kind of like... And this is before your course, this is before you Yeah, this is like 2005, 2006 before I went to college. And it's like, well, I'm going to have to eat shit here. Yeah. And start again and and be flexible and be someone. And Mike taught me a lot at that point because he said the reason why he had me in a lot of those studio sessions with bands and artists and stuff was to show me the ropes technically. But it was also because... I can be quite a, a light, quite a funny presence in the room. Yeah. So if shit's getting a bit serious, like I can always come in and kind of lighten the tone a little bit and be a bit crack jovial, a crack a joke, <laughs> you know, look after people, that kind of thing. And it, mm-hmm. it and he's very interesting, Mike, because his whole thing is everybody brings a vibe. Everybody's there for a reason. So if I ask you to be there, it's because I need you to bring that lightness into that session or I need you to kind of take some of the load off me so I can focus on X, Y, and Z. And, you know, he, he's been a mass, another massive influence on my sort of creative life and creative career. So, you know, as I say, going back to the social media point, it's you have to redefine your relationship with it and find ways of being able to build a social media presence But me and Rory, we have one thing that we always keep saying, which is everybody talks about how do I build more followers on Instagram? How can I get more subscribers on YouTube? How can I do this? It's like, well, nothing will do that more for you than a big record. Yeah. So we all social media. Get working. Get where it starts in the studio. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. And it's not replying to 50 people a day or... Mm-hmm. you know, buying followers, obviously, or anything else. It's yeah. do good work, do good art, express yourself properly, authentically, and everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, and just be true to yourself. Absolutely. When you, um, 
just going back to, to your story when you were assisting, sorry, what was his name? Mike Cave, his name is. Mike Cave. At that point, when you were emptying ashtrays and uh, making, making a cups of tea, did you realise then that that was the reason that he wanted to teach you all of these different all of these different things? Or at that time, were you like, oh shit, why am I doing this? I was just happy to be there because it was okay. Par Street Studios, which at the time was still owned by Phil Collins. And it was mm-hmm. where like Moby had recorded and Coldplay did their first two albums there. And there was all this like amazing art that had been made on the building in the room and on the mixing desk. And, you know, I'm at my happiest when I'm in like a big room like that. And, you know, I've I've been very lucky to be in a lot of recording studios in my time. Um, me and Sasha, we did the Scene Delete album in this incredible studio in Los Angeles called The Village. And that's mm-hmm. where like Smashing Pumpkins did Melancholy. It was where oh. the Chili Peppers did Californication. Uh, wow, you know, that's amazing. Who's who? Like, I mean, the the first episode of Dan's podcast I did, I, I told, I won't tell it again, but there was a very funny story about me and Sasha getting a noise complaint off Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac, um, <laughs> and that was just like typical. It was like you know Iggy Pop making me coffee in the morning and stuff like that, and you know I'm just a, <laughs> and I'm just a, a, a shithead from Liverpool, the like wrong side of Liverpool, and no idea why what I'm there for. But in those types, of, like what Mike taught me in those situations prepared me for all of that. Yeah. And it still resonates with me to this day that everybody's there for a reason. Everyone's equal. Everyone's contributing. Everybody shifts the vibe and the dynamic mm-hmm. in their own little way. And, yeah. you know, it's it, it's a really beautiful thing that, that Mike taught me and he continues to drop insight bombs on me on a on a regular basis because we're we're great friends and we talk we talk Aww. quite a lot and you know um he, he's he's just a fan he's a fantastic guy and a really really interesting guy as well because he's another one who's really quite balanced in his life you know he's he, he's got this amazingly successful career but he's also you know, into his exercise, he's into his yoga, he's into his martial arts, he's a keen motorbike enthusiast, you know, he's just got, he's got a very well-rounded life and, you know, that's one of the big things I always say to people is, as artists, it's like, well, if you want to write better music, get a life. Yeah. Get a life outside of music because, funnily enough, if you're sat sat, like in front of speakers for 12 hours a day, you've got nothing to write about. Yeah, so true. So, so, so. So, yeah, Mike definitely helped me in that. And as I said, I was just happy to be there really more than anything and just to kind of soak it up and just be in that creative environment. And, you know, I often pinch myself because I've been in interesting situations since then. Um, I actually found myself one day in Hans Zimmer's studio in Los Angeles, and that was a bit of a moment. That was a bit of a crazy moment, yeah. What a pinch yourself moment. Yeah, I was looking, I was waiting for like Noel Edmonds or like Jeremy Beadle to jump out with like a gotcha Oscar <laughs> or something. Do you know what I mean? People of a certain age will understand that reference. Um, but ultimately it was like, I had a friend of mine who was working as a technician for, for Hans at the time. And he, and he mm-hmm. had the invite in extended and, you know, got to know a few people, ended up working with a few composers on site, one of them being Junkie XL. Uh, worked wow. with him for for a bit. He was amazing, and yeah, that was hard to not look like a complete tourist at that point. 
<laughs> you know, and, and the imposter syndrome definitely kicked in that day. I'll tell you that in much. That <laughs> if you had to choose two of your proudest moments in mentoring other people, what do you think that would be? Honestly, like, um, there's a couple. There's definitely a couple. And honestly, one of them is what's just happened with Kurt on Hello Demo yes. with the Bushwhacker Remix contest because he's got such a lovely story. I mean, the guy's 55. Wow. And has been at this for a long time and has done a lot of pop music in Norway in the past and actually told me last night that he went through a period of 10 years where he deliberately didn't release anything. because Deliberately? Deliberately because he was just working on himself and he was just trying to get a sound and what we're now hearing yeah. is is phenomenal. And that's, that's what's coming out for him. And, and honestly, you know, it's a great example of it's never too late. It's yeah, never, it's you know, there's no such thing as too old. I mean, to contrast that, I went when I was talking about starting at Audio Engineering College, I was going there at the age of 26 thinking this was my last chance. Mm-hmm. Like, how absurd is that? It was actually the beginning of everything. And yeah. honestly, some people just find success later in life, you know? Yeah. And and that and that's that's a I actually think that's a, a lovely positive thing because I think you appreciate it more when it happens a bit later because you know how hard earned it is. Yeah, absolutely. Is he a, he sounds like such a lovely guy as well? Oh, he's awesome. He's just such a he's the type of guy. I mean, I've never met him in person, but he's the type of guy that you know, as soon as you start speaking to him, you just want to hug him. Oh, he's one of them. He's yeah. just a big, he's like a big teddy bear. Like he's, he's great. Yeah. He's awesome. He really is. And he's so, he's been so humbled by it all. Mm. Like he, he's kind of like in a position at the moment where he can't even believe what's happening. And I keep having to say to him, like, you need to get ready for this dude because like your music deserves to be heard and will be heard on the best platforms that we can get for you basically. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're definitely helping to strap the rocket pack on that guy and put him where he belongs, which is, in my opinion, like right at the top of the industry. And Aww. there's another couple of guys from Liverpool uh, called Cusp, K-U-S-P. And they were like kind of frustrated local jocks that were doing decent gigs and, you know, kind of trundling along, but not really like breaking through if you get what I mean and you know I helped them with some one-to-one mentoring uh both both of them separately and then I have never seen two people like because there's people who like take it and they they do okay like they'll get some releases on some labels they get a sustainable career for themselves that kind of thing and these guys took it and ran they took the ball and ran with it and really? within six months of me doing that, they were signed to Alan Fitzpatrick's label. They wow. were out on Octopus Records. They've had a release on Suara. They've had a release on RNS. They were opening for like Amelie Lenz when she came to the northwest of England a few times. And yeah, we're getting played on Radio One. And it was just like one thing after another. And these guys, as I say, were just like poster childs for like <laughs> what can be done if you get the right kind of advice at the right moment 
And yeah. what's been great is like every time I speak to them, they're like, we're only applying what like you showed us anyway. Do you know what I mean? And how amazing do you feel when you hear that? Love that. Love it. And, you know, that that's part of the mission. I mean, for me, my overall thing is that I've always known that I've wanted to do something in this industry and, you know, lately in the film industry and things like that. Cause like I see my long-term future being more in the film industry, more doing like mm-hmm. com- composition, that kind of thing. Um, I've already done some stuff, uh, done some documentaries and stuff for Netflix and that kind of stuff. And uh, it's, it's one of those where I've always known that I was going to have, I've always had that belief that I was going to have a great career I also just wanted to be able to bring as many people with me as possible. Yeah. And and that's really what NYT is all about because nice. I made my transition and I'm helping other people in the team and everybody else who's involved, whether it's Bushwhacker, Tim Green, Patrice Baumel, who's done a couple of amazing masterclasses for us, uh, you know, people who have done courses for us and stuff. That's all they're interested in. They're all, all they're interested in is the person on the other side of the screen. It's not just rote, like, give us your money, do a course, thank you very much, on to the next one. So we genuinely care about these people. And I've always said you can only become the best artist you can be by becoming the best version of yourself. And that's everything that we try and do. I did think when, again, after reading a lot more up on you and I was reading some other interviews as well, I did did think, I wonder... I imagine that Make Your Transition is called that because you made your own transition. Yeah, totally, totally, absolutely. You know, um, and, and, you know, it's it's very much inspired from the old Underground Resistance record. So if you actually listen to the lyrics of that, that is, what for me, one of the most important pieces of electronic music ever committed to vinyl Mm -hmm. because the message of it is just so, so important. And so evocative and it spoke to when I kind of came up with the concept for it in like 2016, 2017, it was very much, I was deep in my own process of making my transition to the person who I am today. Yeah. And that's kind of where the inspiration for it comes from and that wish to, or that intention to help other people who find themselves in that situation. And that honestly like might lead us to expand outside of just music. It may well other lead industries. into other industries, other kinds of levels of creativity or, you know, mental like the mental health or mental wellness or whatever you want to call it or personal development. Yeah. It may well lead us to kind of like expand it out and be able to help people on a much more widespread level. Mm-hmm. Oh, I absolutely love what you do. I love the concept and I love that it's not just a platform where you're just going to go and just learn, as you said at the beginning, to, you know, touch a few buttons and how a few different works. It's just the actual, the full pack and working on yourself first and then getting to, to, mm-hmm. to the next step, you know. That's it. I love That's it. That. Thank you. I really, yeah. really appreciate that. And I love what you're doing with this podcast as well. And, you know, getting to know you a little bit through 
like working with Hello Demo and stuff like that's been a fantastic thing as well. And, you know, it's... It's been great. Yeah. It's been brilliant working together with Hello Demo. No, it really, really has. It's been fantastic. It's been a real... Um, it's a really exciting journey because it feels like both companies are kind of like at the beginnings of their journey and the yeah. potential is, is massive. And, you know, again, like it's just, it's such a it's such a win-win for everyone because like you guys and yourself, you know, are, are similarly committed to helping people more so mm-hmm. than, you know, just in a very, very passive way. You know, it's, it's, it's really important to us. Yeah. What's the feedback been like at MIT with Hello Demo? Yeah, people are loving it. People are loving it. I mean, it's one of those, obviously, like, because we're, we're both relatively new companies. Like, we're, uh, mm. you know, we've got a, we've had a few bumps in the road out, you know what I mean? But it's yeah, it's understandable. Way. That's normal. Some, yeah, of course. of course it is. Of course it is. And we're just, you know, we're just sort of getting to know each other a little bit. But, you know, I think everybody really sees the concept and really sees how important it is because I think Hello Demo really does solve a very, very important problem. Mm-hmm. in that, yeah. ironically, you know, we were talking about social media before and it's like I've lived the bombardment of the demo inbox and that's just, it's just horrendous, you know? So <laughs> it's just nice to know that there are people out there who are thinking outside the box a little bit and are trying to come up with a, a solution, which means that the, the the music that deserves to be heard gets to be heard by the right people, but also as well gives people a bit of time to really pause and think about their own approach to how they're promoting their own music and how they can do it a little more mindfully, a little bit more deliberately, some more strategic, pragmatic thinking comes into it a little bit more, which is very in line with what we teach people. You know, we very much talk about on NYT about being a little bit more mindful about what kind of labels you target and also how you target them. That's a very, very key. Yeah. yeah, totally. I mean, honestly, I can tell you, I, I very nearly opened up you know, one of those joke Tumblr accounts where it's like worst label submissions with people's names <laughs> blanked out. You know, one of the best ones we had because uh, I co-founded a label called Chapter 24 about five, six yes. years ago. And it's so funny because you get you get demo submissions and it's like, what were you thinking? <laughs> Like somebody dropped somebody somebody literally put a demo in the Dropbox and it was called the the track was called Drop Your Pants. What? And it was like we we're literally using tarot cards and Jungian archetypes and Aesop's fables as like we've got an in-house artist who's literally carving our artwork out of like bits of linoleum and wood. And then printing them on rice paper. What part of a track called Drop Your Pants did you think actually suited our label? You know, I was almost going to set this Tumblr up and it's uh, actually, speaking of Instagram, one of my favourite Instagram accounts is, have you ever seen Tinder Nightmares? No. It's like the worst opening lines on Tinder. And it was going to be like that. I was going to basically start a Tumblr or like an Instagram of like, these are the worst demo submissions, like, you know, the worst, like, kind of approaches to labels in order to kind of highlight the issue a little bit. But that's just so bad, so bad, you know. But yeah, Hello oh. Demo is definitely putting an end to all that, thankfully. Yeah, thankfully, yeah. No, it's brilliant. I, I absolutely love it and I love working with them as well. They're great. Mm. Um, okay, just to kind of end, start wrapping up this conversation, I wish we could speak for longer because I, I, since I started talking, there's so many different things that that this conversation could go so many ways. But um, 
First of all, um, we're going to do a round of quick fire questions if you're up for that. Mm, absolutely. Yeah? Okay. So let's start. If you weren't doing what you were doing now, what would you be? I would definitely be something physical. Uh, I would probably have devoted myself to like being a professional sportsman or something like that. The question that you get asked the most? What do you do? <laughs> what do you do for a living? Uh, let me, hang on. Let me just write you the list. Um, the thing you like the most about the internet? The thing I like the most about the internet? This is where I completely sound like a hypocrite and I say YouTube. <laughs> YouTube. And what about the thing you you least like about the internet? Uh, all forms of misinformation and toxicity. Your favourite studio snack? Favourite studio snack is definitely a banana every now and then because it kind of gives the energy levels a little bit of a spike. Brilliant. Your favourite way to start the day? I start now in recent weeks by reading 20 to 30 pages of a book. Mm -hmm. What do you have for breakfast? I don't have breakfast. Never? I'm an intermittent faster. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not even on a Sunday? Oh, on a Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'll give you the healthy and the unhealthy. The, the healthy is porridge with oat milk, uh, ceremonial grade raw cacao, nuts and blueberries and a little sprinkle of honey on top. And uh, the unhealthiest is like a homemade version of a Mackey's breakfast. A homemade version of a Mackey's breakfast. <sighs> you can get in the studio with any artist. Who would it be? Oh, Trent Muller. Uh, Brilliant one of my heroes. Your heroes. And yeah, it was thankfully good, you know, lucky enough to see him play live in LA a few years ago and he just rocked my world. Been a fan since the beginning. An artist to look out for? Apart from the obvious one, Kurt Gasso, which I've kind of mm -hmm. picked up. Uh, an artist to look out for? Um, that's a really, really good question. Yes, another one of our members I would like to big up uh, a guy called Sebastian Tamayo. He sounds like the bastard love child of John Hopkins, Max Cooper and Trent Moller all rolled into one. Something you would like for Christmas? It's a very good question. What do you get the man that has everything? <laughs> Honestly, like this is going to be such a redundant, stupid answer, but Marks and Spencer's underwear, I'll be really happy with. Marks and Spencer's underwear. That's an easy present. <laughs> I'm an easy guy. I'm, I'm I'm low maintenance. I am like zero maintenance, to be honest. So, the best thing about Liverpool is the people. The, without doubt, I mean, if you want me to expand on that, um, I go abroad and people say to me, "Oh, you're from England," and I go, "No, I'm from Liverpool." <laughs> like it's a different thing. It's not the same. Like we're not. We don't even consider ourselves to be English, really. <laughs> you know, it's it's very much like a Catalan kind of vibe, you know? Yeah. It's like Barcelona, that kind of thing. It's like, no, we're not Spanish, we're Catalan. Yes. And finally, do you have a guest list rule? What, for who can come on the guest list, or...? Yeah, just a guest list rule. 
It's quite funny, actually, because I was talking to a friend of mine this morning who's a club promoter in Australia, and we were just talking about how the guest list is dead. <laughs> well, Because of current <laughs> circumstances. I mean, even when, because they're, they're kind of opening back up a little bit now. Uh, so they, even they were saying, like, nope, there's no such thing. Um, honestly, like, my only guest list rule is, like, no dickheads. Yes. I would say the same. Um... And finally, I was just going to ask if you had anything exciting coming up that you wanted to share. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, NYT is continuing to grow. You know, we're over 20 courses now and we're just growing it like a really great rate in terms of content. So keep an eye on that for sure because we're just expanding all the time. More artists coming on board, more courses, more interested events. But in terms of like music stuff, I'm just in the studio at the moment. Uh, what I will say is that I I work quite closely with D&B Audio, the German sound system company, and yeah. I've been helping develop their surround sound systems for a couple oh, of years. Oh, wow, that's cool. So I'm working on something at the moment which would be eventually, this is the first time I've mentioned anything publicly, but I'm working on something that would end up being my first ever live stream. Your but first ever live stream? Yeah, it would be more of a. It's I'm, I'm making another transition. You see, I'm kind of moving into being more of like a live act, mm-hmm. and I'm looking at virtual reality and surround sound very, very seriously, and what we can achieve with it when we bring all of these different things together. So, watch this space. I mean, God knows how long that's going to take, but you know, we're, we're when we're when we're ready and when it's right, we're, uh, we're we should have something very special on offer. Sounds very exciting. Very exciting. Thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for this chat. It's been so, so lovely. And um, I hope to see you in person soon. That would actually be nice, wasn't it? Like to actually know that you're (laughs) an actual physical person and not this, not not an algorithm of some description or some form of like, Alter, oh yeah, I'll, 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 what's the word there? Uh, artificial intelligence or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so, so much. And I will speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Cheers, Katie. See you later. Bye. Bye.